What's up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. I uh, wanted to reach out and say thank you guys for all the listens, all the love. We see it on social media. We see it on YouTube. It has been sensational. And we want to encourage you guys, if you guys are enjoying the podcast and liking it, that you guys subscribe and like it, uh, whether it's on YouTube, on our UCLA LAFB channel, or the Bruin Bible, uh, to subscribe either through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you guys listen and react to it because it's going to allow us to do much greater things in the future. We're creators. We want to be giving the best Bruins content to all of our UCLA listeners. The only way we can do that is if we have a fan base that is locked in and helping us out. So we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. If you guys have been liking it, please help us out with a like and subscribe. What is up, Bruin Bible listeners? Your host, Will Decker. Jamal Madney to my right per usual little somber Sunday evening recap for you as UCLA dropped a big-time game, 36-24 to uh, to the Oregon State Beavers in Corvallis. A lot to talk about, a lot to visit. I was able to watch the game in Rocco's with Iron Mike Regalado. It was a fun time. We missed you out there, Madman. I know you were having a great weekend in Scottsdale uh, with some friends and family, so that was a blast. We both were able to watch the game. We texted profusely throughout the game. Talk to me. How was the weekend in Scottsdale before we dive into any football-related matters? Yeah, well, I mean, it was a it was a great time in, in Scottsdale with, with some friends and, you know, old friends catching up with, with kids now. And so just uh, just airbnb to a nice house and dove into the pool and, and played some pool volleyball and had the grill going and, you know, fire pits in the evenings with some s'mores and, and board games and all that great stuff. And then... Of course, it was sort of wire-to-wire uh, college football on in, in the, the outdoor TV there. They had a really nice setup in that Airbnb and, and you know, was glued. I was, I was cross-eyed, basically. I mean, one eye on, on the television and then one eye, you know, I had to give time to my wife and her friends, you know. So this is what happens, Will. Once you get married, you know, then, then you got to have two different eyeballs in two different locations. So, uh, you know. Uh, but excited to have both eyeballs in one location to be able to talk UCLA football for the first time all weekend. So, <laughs> yeah, man, keep your eyes up here, man, man. I'm right yeah. here. <laughs> Big weekend for the Pac-12 before we dive into it. Washington-Oregon game may have been the game within the pack of the year. I mean, such a fun one. USC goes down, which, I mean, we're the Bruin Bible. We love to see that. Notre Dame just absolutely beat the crap out of them. But going back to the UCLA game, I think the place we could start on a lot of places, but I think for me, we got to go with Dante Moore and just the performance he had. This was my fear. You know, we had started at the beginning of the season. We picked our quarterbacks on who we wanted to go with. I went Garber because I'm like, you know, he's a freshman. I don't want to make any mistakes. And you saw the early returns where it looked like he was ahead of schedule when it came to developing in a lot of different ways. But since he has entered Pac-12 play, Madman, he has – completed only 45% of his passes on 112 attempts, six interceptions. And it's a crazy stat. He has two crazy ones when it comes to interceptions. He has thrown an interception on the first drive in three straight games and has also thrown a pick six in three straight games. 
two fumbles in the meantime with that, including that costly one against Utah. Where do we stand on Dante Moore? Because I think for me personally, the third interception, the pick six right before half, and I know Schley got hurt, you know, shortly after that or wherever it may be, but I was going, we have to make a change. The, the, the leash for three interceptions in a first half, maybe outside of the reigning Heisman winner who did it himself this weekend in Caleb Williams. You know, I think that's kind of the, the only person that can really survive that. And Dante Moore was trotted back out there with ease. What are your thoughts on should they have kept Dante Moore in there and his overall performance when it comes to Pac-12 play and how it's dropped a little bit off the cliff? Yeah, well, I mean, it, just a, a really tough situation uh, to, to start this game. I mean, it felt like deja vu all over again. And, and hopefully our listeners will get a chance to, to see my article up tomorrow morning on, on the game recap where we, we sort of really get into it. But yet again, this is the third straight week where we open with interceptions behind the eight ball. You mentioned it, three consecutive pick sixes, three consecutive first drive interceptions. And I think there's a couple of different ways to to dissect this. One is there's a conversation around after the first two games, should UCLA have been so pass-oriented the first couple of drives, especially being on the road? So there's one element about Dante, his freshman mistakes, still the speed of the game feeling too fast. But then there's also kind of an argument to say, well, you knew that for the first two weeks. This is a road game, just as tough an environment as Utah, a better team than Utah, because defensively they're every bit Utah is, and they've got really good quarterback play right now. So would it have been more prudent to start the game a little bit more conservatively? So I think there's a little bit of blame to go around here, Will. But yet again, it's also similar types of interceptions, right? Locking in on a receiver, to the left side, not really going off of that first read. That was the pick six. Rolling to the left, yet again, this is the second consecutive game where he's rolled to the left and had to cross his body, not really set his feet, uh, kind of shoulders flailing, a little bit of a jump pass, ending up throwing behind a receiver that ended up in an interception. And then, of course, the third interception was not really having that clock in his head, not really feeling the rush, getting hit as he threw, popped up like a can of corn, you know, easy as can be type of interception. So we're starting to not only see the quantity of interceptions, but there's also a pattern to what the interceptions are looking like. The six interceptions are really in two or three different buckets. So for me, Will, it's been unfortunate because this felt like a tale of almost four different games where you come out of the gate, you have the multiple interceptions, and as a result of that, it becomes 13 nothing given a bunch of short fields, I thought the defense played very admirably. Then Chip does a really nice job of bringing Schley in the game, really starting to impose that run-pass option, really running for a vast majority of period. You end up getting that touchdown. You get a fumble. Defense is excited. You end up kind of grinding your way to a field goal. It's 13-10. Now all of a sudden you feel like, hey, it's game on with about six minutes left in the first half. Then the second kind of you know, the, the next phase of the game is Oregon State drives pretty methodically. UCLA had an opportunity to catch the interception. It pops up. Bolden ends up catching that first down on third and one. You and I both were messaging and saying, man, that could be kind of a, a game changer play. End up holding them to a field goal at 16-10. And then the kind of the back-breaking pick six, 67 yards by Ryan Cooper back to the house. That really felt like the momentum swing was 23-10 at the half. And then you kind of get into that second half. And that's when the defense starts cracking a bit. You know, it's just the pressure of having to stay in this game. And 
you know, you started seeing some big gashes with Oregon State in terms of their touchdowns, some busts, and, and UCLA did a valiant job being able to run the ball and kind of stay within striking distance. But the game in the second half, Will, was completely on Oregon State's terms. When you're two possessions behind, you're, you're sort of constantly behind that eight ball. So it really never, UCLA never had a lead, never could kind of get out in front and set that tempo. But it's unfortunate right now with, with where Dante is. These are the rookie mistakes. And I think it begs the question, what do you do going into Stanford week? I think he's absolutely the quarterback of the future. He's absolutely, in my opinion, the quarterback of this team, even moving forward. But would it be worthwhile to give him a rest against Stanford, let him recover a little bit physically, refresh mentally, and maybe have the opportunity to stand next to Chip on the sideline and kind of build that rapport with Chip of saying, here, this is what I am seeing on the field when I'm calling certain plays. This is what I anticipate you to see when I'm calling these particular plays. And maybe there's an opportunity for some education there. Give Garbers perhaps a spot start against Stanford, and then you allow the kid to kind of reset. Because the one thing I will say, Will, before handing it back over to you, after the five sacks, after the constant pressures, after getting hit with the interception, he looked pretty battered physically and emotionally at the end of that game. He was li- he limped off the field. There was a noticeable limp in the fourth quarter. And even in the post-game presser, he was very down and dejected. And so I think it's going to be really important to understand he's an 18-year-old freshman. How do you preserve his confidence? Is he one of these guys that wants to jump back in the fire and that's how he rebuilds his confidence? Or does he right now maybe just need a little bit of a step back and a bit of a reset for a week? Uh, before you you go next so a really interesting question there will that you pose to start yeah and dante i mean he's the future you know we're the people that came up with the dante to la you know hashtag that was a huge part of him coming out here and you know just everything going on with that you know so i i love dante and i'm excited about the future but i think it's also right to question just how backbreaking these turnovers are like first drive of the game that's where you start to get your momentum and get going Throwing three interceptions in three games on the first drive of the game, those are huge, critical turnovers. And then, I mean, it goes without saying, the pick sixes are just absolute backbreakers. Not all turnovers are created equal. You know, we called the Matt Stafford, you know, for the Rams, when he'll throw a, you know, an air punt, we'll call it, where it just kind of goes 40 yards in the air and the other team gets it at the 30 or the 25-yard line. Not really, you know, you never want to turn the ball over, but it's very much less consequential than what, you know, these Dante turnovers are. So there's just a lot of backbreaking mistakes. He's going to clean it up. He's going to be really good when he figures it out. But I think I actually have more issue with Chip Kelly, you know, this year. I, I've been a Chip defender. You know this. This year I'm struggling a little bit more to defend him than in past years. And I'm kind of starting to hear the other side of the arguments, you know, whether it's Yankoff on the kick return team, whether it was putting Garbers back in in game number one when it was clear that, Dante should be the guy whether it's the three interceptions this week and you know the one hole you can really evaluate with Oregon State for as good and as complete team as they are I want to really emphasize this point this team could easily be the Pac-12 champions given what we saw this weekend I think they're very talented but the one hole that they have on their team is their run defense and we did not run the ball to start the game nor did we do much of that in the first half given I mean they gave up 261 yards on the ground to a Cal team what do you think they could do against a Chip Kelly team, man? So it was just, it was very confusing. We had the backs. Uh, another point I'd like to make is why don't we give Keegan Jones the ball more? It was, seems like every time that guy touched the ball the last two weeks in these small spurts, we were not seeing enough. 
Do you think it's fair to criticize Chip? You know, because I don't think I've seen a lot of change come to this offense. And I'm coming from a place where I love and respect Chip Kelly. But I got to ask the question. I'm a little fed up. And so is the fan base at this point. It's some of the play calling and strategy that Chip has put out there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a really fair question. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, where if you get even decent quarterback play, you're looking at a team that's potentially 6-0. and I mean, when you when you look at the pick six, it was a 14-7 final, the fumble in the red zone. I mean, if, if the pick six doesn't happen and the fumble in the red zone doesn't happen and you just get three points away out of that, you're, you're ahead in that game. Now, who knows how it finishes, but you're ahead in the fourth quarter with an opportunity to win the game. Here, even if you take away two of the three interceptions and say, listen, two of them still stick because they ended up stopping them to field goals. But if you just take that pick six off the board, Will, you know, UCLA still has possession there and you take seven points away from Oregon State. And look at the end of that game. UCLA had the ball multiple chances down 12. They were one possession behind. If that pick six doesn't happen, they have the ball with an opportunity to win the game yet again in the fourth quarter. So it's not even that it needed to be perfect quarterback play, but even if it was slightly better quarterback play with this tremendous defense, you're looking at a team that potentially has the opportunity to be 6-0 and and top 6-7 in the nation. And I think it's a really fair point. I think where the head scratching begins is just the lack of inconsistency of playmakers week over week. You have a guy like J. Michael Sturdivant. You can't get him the ball consistently. I've been sort of yearning for uh, an underutilized Kyle Ford the whole season. He seems like a weapon of choice that could do so much damage in these intermediate areas. He hasn't been a factor this season. You see somebody like a Carson Ryan who plays so well one week, makes such a big impact with some great catches. He had zero catches against Oregon State. So week over week, you don't know what you're having. And then after Keegan Jones sort of makes a breakthrough performance against Washington State, he comes back and he was dynamic, Will, in his touches. I mean, that beautiful spin move on the check down, the inside out, then the hurdle. But he had less than five touches the whole game. So it really is sort of back to the drawing board right now offensively about what is this team's identity and what do they really want to do? Having said that, I completely agree with you. I think there was probably an opportunity to run the ball more early in this game. But I also want to caution everyone that hindsight is 2020 because there's clearly a world where if UCLA ran the ball early and didn't give Dante the opportunity to throw the ball, but then needed to make a throw late in that game and it didn't work out, obviously the criticism would be, wow, the first time you're giving him meaningful throws is on the road at Research Stadium in the fourth quarter trying to win a game. Why don't you try and have him throw a little bit earlier in the game to get into a rhythm, right? So I think in that sense, it can go both ways. Ultimately, UCLA ran for 284 yards on 5.7 yards per carry. Could that have been more? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, they still ran the ball over 50 times and only threw the ball 34 times. And a lot of those 34 attempts were late in that game when they had to sort of make up for it. So I'm not as critical about the early kind of throws because there was still an emphasis on the run. But to me, where the criticism I think is very fair is just being so consistently inconsistent with your offensive identity and your playmakers. The only guy who's sort of consistently gotten the ball week over week has been Logan Loya on these intermediate crossers. And I love Loya. I know you're such a huge Loya guy, Will. Couldn't love the kid more. But Logan Loya cannot be your best receiver on a championship quality team. He's, he's the third or fourth best option 
on a team that's truly contending for a conference title. So I think there's really an opportunity here for Chip to kind of take a step back and say, what do we really want to accomplish offensively? And what do we really need to do? Because our margin for error is so high, actually, offensively, because this defense is so good. I mean, if this offense can just get 24, 27 points a game, but be at under two turnovers, they're going to have a chance to win every game from here on out. Yeah, and I think where the frustration comes for me, and I know they ran the ball very effectively, but it came, It felt like it, the bulk of it came after that third interception yeah. where they were forcing passes, they were trying to make plays. Like, we all know Chip Kelly as the, the run guru. That's his identity, and I feel like he's tried to change it. I mean, Dante Moore, a young kid like this, having 112 attempts in three games, that just seems like too much to me. Yeah. And they're not making his job easier. Your job as a coach, as an offensive genius, I'm still going to call him that, even though I haven't seen it for the last three games, is to make his job easier. And I don't think he's effectively done that to him. And granted, a huge portion of this, I think, falls on the offensive line play. And, you know, out of 132 teams, UCLA ranks number 12 now uh, in the most sacks allowed from an offensive line unit. It's been 17 in the last three games alone. So he has been sacked at will. And a lot of those plays, I mean, we've seen it. He's had three or four guys in his face, just gets the ball out of time. So a lot of it has been the pressure, but stick to your identity. You know, and I think you mentioned this in terms of finding identity and playmakers. Get Sturdivant the ball. Get Carson Ryan the ball more. Keegan Jones, a prime example. This guy had four touches for 57 yards. I'm not a scientist or a mathematician. That's 10 yards plus a touch every time this guy's touching the ball. I don't know, maybe give him the ball more. So, like, it's just frustration at this point. It's been a lot of decisions, more so than I can remember as somebody that's done this with you now for three years, where it's like, man, I don't agree with that decision. I've just had more of those this year than ever with Chip Kelly, and I I hope we can find a way out of this because this team is talented enough to go to some really good bowl games, even with these two losses, because I think Oregon State and Utah are two very, very special teams that we lost. To, yeah, so. well, I mean, I think you, you said it really well. And I think the big philosophical change, I think, that needs to take place from here on out is you don't want to pass to set up the run. You want to run to set up the pass. And I think that that's got to be sort of the ethos moving forward here, where run the ball early and often, let someone prove that they can stop it, let them bring extra people in the box, make that box heavier. And then that now opens up space for your playmakers on the outside. And even if your line can hold a heavier box, it, it gives you an opportunity to kind of spread out a little bit more and just get the ball out of your hands quicker. Put your guys, put your playmakers in space, put Sturdivant in a three on three situation on the outside, put Keegan Jones on a two on two situation on the outside put these guys in a position where all they have to do is sort of make a move to then be able to get more yards. And I think that is probably the philosophical change that we need to see. I think part of it is also, Will, Dante has exceeded expectations to start this season in so many different ways. The poise that he showed against Coastal Carolina and winning that game in the fourth quarter, he was essentially flawless on the road in San Diego State in his first uh, career start. And even though that was lesser competition, he just sort of seamlessly passed every test where after that Utah game, even though he threw that first pick six, it was one of those games that was sort of knocked down, drag it out, where you felt, hey, that's a little bit of an anomaly. 
And then you kind of come back home to Washington State and you think, okay, we can open up the playbook because we're back home. He's out of his sort of uh, element now. He's, he's sort of back in in terms of his confidence. But I think now there's enough of a sample to say, you know what, we got to slow down. The learning curve right now is a little bit too fast. Let's run in order to set up the pass. Yeah, and, you know, I think you nailed it on the head there, man. Put your players in position to succeed. 112 attempts for a guy that's really struggling throwing the football right now. That's not a position to succeed. I don't care. That's just what it is. So let's see more of that. Let's touch on some guys that we really were impressed with. I got to say, man, you know, Stefan Blaylock was a guy that we've talked about that's been very tough to replace. Kamari Ramsey yes. has been awesome. Awesome. Blew up several plays in the backfield. You can just see that this guy is going to be a future captain of this team, a guy that's always in the right place at the right time, making plays. Eight total tackles, was tied for the lead on the team with Ola Dejao. Tackle in a lot uh, and a half for loss. That actually led the team. What have you seen from Ramsey? Because I'm so impressed by what this young safety is doing in his first year of Absolutely, Will. I, I think that you hit it on the head in terms of the mind. I think the way he's seeing the game right now and how he's anticipating whether he needs to sort of dive in to the line of scrimmage to stop the run, whether he needs to sort of retreat back both vertically or horizontally, recognizing what plays are being run, where the motions are. He is starting to really exude an intelligence on the field of really being that captain in the secondary and we've been waiting for it. We were saying, who's going to be that Stefan Blaylock? Who's going to be that captain of the secondary to put these guys in the right position? I think it's Kamari Ramsey. Leave it to a kid who had to decide between Stanford and UCLA to be the brains in the secondary back there. And, and Ramsey has certainly delivered. This is, this is what you want to see. I think physically, he is sort of the prototypical defensive back safety. And now when you sort of look at his intelligence, his ability to read the defenses, I was so impressed with him. There were some plays there, Will, where if Ramsey doesn't make that play, I mean, a Fenwick, a Martinez, they're ripping off big, big runs there. I mean, those there were some plays, there were about a handful of plays that he made in that game that were either a loss at the line of scrimmage or a very minimal game, game where if he doesn't make that play, those are 15-plus yard runs and kind of completely change the complexion of that particular drive. So I thought he was instrumental and hopefully he only grows from here in terms of his role on the team, his voice on the team, his leadership and, and his productivity. Yeah. And if we can get, you know, Dante kind of going back to his game that we saw earlier in the year, I think like these two guys leading the way for UCLA in the future are two awesome dudes to have going forward. Let's talk about another positive, man. I thought Carson Steele was going to have some moments in a Bruins uniform. I was excited about him, but I got to tip my cap. He is way better than I thought he would be. Even after his very productive, I believe it was like 1,500 plus yards rushing at Ball State, turns in another 100-yard performance at the touchdown late to kind of make things a little closer for UCLA. Talk to me about Steele because I think he's kind of pulled away from the pack as the go-to running back you know, after these back-to-back -back insane performances at the tailback position? Well, I mean, he's just shown in a remarkable durability for a, a tailback of this day and age. I mean, you, you talk about the 112 pass attempts for Dante in three games and what an, what an exceptional usage rate that is. Carson steals 52 carries the last two games. Oh. I mean, 30 followed by the 22. I mean, it's remarkable. He's averaging 26 carries the last two games. This is... This is owed back to 90s Big Ten football here. 
I mean, this is not usage that we recall seeing in college football, certainly the last seven, eight, nine years. And so the fact that he has been able to go play over play, not take the pounding, and oh, by the way, Will, over those 52 carries, not a single fumble. He's been so uh, secure with the ball, done an outstanding job, over five yards a carry. He was at 30 carries for 140 yards, so he was right at about you know 4.6 yards per carry in that game, five yards per carry in this game. So he's not busting these huge runs, but he's giving you consistent yardage carry over carry. And there's a stability there. You know it's going to be second and six. You know it's going to be third and three. And he's really been the anchor of this offense upon which everything needs to be built. I've been really impressed with Steele. And I think complementing Steele with Keegan Jones's home run ability, with TJ Harden's shiftiness, I think is going to be really paramount. But I also think Chip's going to need to be mindful now these next few games against some maybe lesser teams where he's going to have to keep Carson Steele fresh for some of these bigger games down the stretch. Two games in particular for me, Will, at Arizona, at USC. Steele is going to have to be in that 25-carry area. So I'm looking for some of these other guys to kind of pick up the slack to keep Steele fresh down the line. But I just love his durability. I love the way he runs inside the tackles, his physicality. He finishes every run. And he's just hungry for more. And uh, give me some more Carson Steele. Carson Steele is fun to watch, man. He, the term battering ram just no comes doubt. to mind when he goes through uh, the offensive line for a three- to four-yard gain. He's knocking defenders on their ass every time he gets in there. Um, just other shout-outs. I thought how the defense started the game was very admirable. I mean, basically, when you added up Dante and the turnovers – they basically, those the first six points they had, they were in the red zone, essentially, or at least close to it, and to force two field goals against a very prevalent offense in Oregon State. I thought that was a very admirable job to keep that a one-score game when it easily could have been two touchdowns and we're just done immediately. Obviously, the pick six at the end hurts, but the defense in the first half, I thought, played outstanding. I think as they realized, they didn't really have a fighting chance. You know, these different plays, the Jack Belling catch over three defenders – the wide open touchdowns to, you know, different wide outs from Oregon state just made it very different, uh, difficult. You know what I mean? So it was a tough scenario, but I want to give a shout out to them. What do we take forward going to like, what are some of the strategies you would recommend uh, going into the Stanford game without, you know, giving too much away of the preview for this week on ESPN radio? Well, I think there's a couple things and uh, I'm going to mention this in more detail in some of my writing this week. I think there's a way to protect Dante. And I think we talked a little bit about it with you got to run the ball to set up the pass. But I think there's kind of three areas where we can protect him and have some safer offensive throws. And I think the first area is you got to eliminate the play calls where he's rolling to his weak side. I mean, there should not be a play now where he is rolling to the left and needing to sort of twist his body and turn around and make a throw. I know that there's probably a a, a lot of space in that area, but the trade-off between the space and his ability to have to turn his entire body and plant his feet off of his off shoulder, I think that risk is too high. So I think step one is, if you're going to roll him out, roll him out to the right. Make him roll to his strong side, where he's going to be a lot more comfortable. I think second will has a lot to do with his eye movement and his reading of the progressions. And I think there's some quarterbacks that go through their reads counterclockwise, meaning from left to right, 
and some quarterbacks that go through their reads clockwise, meaning from right to left. And I think when you look at Dante, he's a right to left progression reads kind of guy. He'll start right and go left. So when you have a J. Michael Sturdivant lined up to his left, because that's his first option, he's going to lock there and not move because he's already at the end of his, his, his read because he's already at the left. If you notice the pick six against Utah and the pick six against Oregon State, he was locking left to Sturdivant. So what I would do is suddenly I would start putting Sturdivant to the right of Dante, where he starts his read with Sturdivant on the right and then is able to make his, his progression in a more counterclockwise fashion. So that's number two. And then number three, Will, I think we've been clamoring for it a lot, is it's got to be two reads and out. It's got to be one read, two reads, and you're either throwing the ball away or you're rolling out to sort of run out of bounds or end the play. And I think that's if he can do those three things in terms of, you know, protecting his strong side, making sure that Sturdivant's on his right and he can kind of go through his read smartly and get the clock in his head working. Then all of a sudden you're limiting the mistakes through the passing game to the degree that you've had it the last few weeks. And then when you complement that with your run game, now you become a very formidable team with that defense. So those are, I think, the subtleties that I'm going to be looking for this week against Stanford and beyond. Yeah. And uh, make sure, you know, you guys are tuning in to not only the podcast, but all the rest of the games. I know it's been a tough couple of games with the Utah game itself and the Oregon state, but still a long season left to go. Nine, 10 wins is still very much in the realm of possibility. This Oregon state team guys, I would not be shocked if they won the entire conference at the end of it. They're that complete of a football team. Madman. Great to see you as always. Love doing this. We're going to have another show later in the week to talk about Stanford, UCLA, maybe have some guests on. Maybe it's just us solo. You guys tell us, Madman, let's watch the game this week. And I think yes, we're sir. Actually Absolutely. So yes, I'm excited for that. You guys let us know where to watch. We watched at Rocco's this past weekend. Maybe we run it back there. Maybe we go someplace else. But we are down to watch with the Bruin Bible faithful as well. Much love, guys. Great talking with you guys as always. And go Bruins.